In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. God willing, today we're going to continue studying in the book of Exodus. Um, this part of the book that is discussing um, the construction of the tabernacle. Um, last time we spoke about um, some of the elements of the construction of the tabernacle, as well as the vestments of the priest, and we spoke about the symbolism um, of the things that were discussed. God willing, today we're going to continue um, speaking a little bit more about the tabernacle, and then next time, just the first part of it will be kind of the conclusion of the tabernacle, and then we'll move on and continue with kind of the narrative portion um, in, in the book of, of Exodus. So in Exodus chapter 29, it says, And this is what you shall do to them, to hallow them for ministering to me as priests. So he's speaking about Aaron and his sons who have been selected to be the ones to minister as priests. So here he's speaking about the consecration of the priests. How is it that the priests will be consecrated? Take one young bull and two rams without blemish and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil and unleavened wafers anointed with oil, you shall make them of wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket with the bull and the two rams. And Aaron and his sons you shall bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and you shall wash them with water. Then you shall take the garments, put the tunic on Aaron, and the robe of the ephod. Remember we said the ephod is like the outer garment um, of, the, of the priest. The ephod and the breastplate and gird him with the intricately woven band of the ephod. You shall put the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. So we spoke before about um, the, 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 the vestments themselves and, and what they mean. Now we're speaking about the people. When, when they become priests, when they are consecrated to become priests, there is a certain ceremony that they have to undergo. And then as part of this ceremony, they are given the vestments of the priesthood okay similarly for instance now in the new testament when we have um, someone to be ordained a priest there is a ceremony there's certain prayers that are said by the bishop there's the laying of hands of the bishop okay and it is a part of this that they are given the vestments of the priesthood so as we said those who are to be consecrated as priests are Aaron and his sons and there is a consecration process in the sense that without the consecration the person is not qualified or eligible or allowed to serve as a priest. So there, it, it is not just a matter of birthright, and it is not just a matter of putting on the clothes. There is a certain consecration. And the word consecration means to be set apart, like to be, to be, to be separated for and committed to a certain type of service. Even the Lord Jesus Christ himself, he said, I sanctify myself, right? And to sanctify himself of course, we know he is already sanctified in the sense that he is pure and holy and righteous. But to sanctify himself means he is committed 100% in his life for the mission of salvation for the people. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he said that. So here also, the, the idea of the priest is the priest is the person who is completely consecrated and set apart for the, the work of the salvation of the people, of interceding for them and offering sacrifices on their behalf. So this consecration is uh, uh, like a, a process of, of purification to make them to be holy so that they can also now, having been purified and made holy, can touch the holy things, right? Because they are now going to touch things um, in, in, in as a part of their service that no one else can touch and no one else can do. So in order for them to be able to do that, they have to be consecrated. Also, it makes it clear that it is not because of the worthiness of this one specific person that somehow they have been chosen to be the priest or because they are intrinsically very holy. Actually, they are made to be holy through this, through this process. They are consecrated through this process. And as we mentioned before, there are those among the priests, like later on Nadab and Abihu, who are the sons of Aaron, they're going to sin against God and, de and defile themselves even in their in their priesthood and that they are going to offer the profane fire but so the consecration here is a way for us to receive the holiness of god on us like we receive the holiness of god and this holiness of god is what allows us to serve him when we say we put on christ we put on christ meaning that we take the the holiness of christ the person of christ and we are like hidden inside of him which grants us access to paradise which grants us access to god the father okay um, so they put on these holy garments, and these garments represent the Lord Jesus Christ in that same way, that we are putting on um, Christ. 
And you shall take the anointing oil, pour it on his head, and anoint him. Then you shall bring his sons and put tunics on them. And you shall gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, and put the hats on them. The priesthood shall be theirs for a perpetual statute, so you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. So they are also anointed with oil on their head, and that oil like runs down um, to anoint them completely and consecrate them for the service. So that is the first part of the consecration of the priests. Um, the second part here is, is now the sin offering. There is an offering, a sin offering that is offered on their behalf. It says, you shall also have the bull. So at the beginning, he, he said, what is it that they needed? So they needed a bull. You, all, you should have the bull brought before the tabernacle of beating. And Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the bull. Okay, so putting their hands on the head of the bull symbolically means what? Transferring their sins to the bull, right? And this was part of the sin offering, is that whenever there would be an offering for sin that was to be made, the person who is making the offering puts their hand on the animal that is to be slaughtered so that symbolically the sins, their own sins, is getting transferred to the animal so that when the animal is slaughtered, it is like that animal is being punished, right, for the sin of the person, which is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did. He took our sin on himself and he received the consequence, the punishment of sin on himself so that we do not have to. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. You shall take some of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger and pour all the blood beside the base of the altar. Remember, this altar is this bronze altar that is outside in the outer court of the tabernacle and it has these four horns that are on the corners of the altar and we said before that uh, it was a custom that whenever someone would have been um, accused of some kind of crime of manslaughter or negligence that they would and someone would be seeking to kill them they would run into the tabernacle and they would hold on to the horns of the altar so that they would be spared their life so here this blood of the bull which is a blood of forgiveness like a blood for the forgiveness of sins is being put here on the horns of the altar and then pouring all of the blood um, beside the base of the altar and you shall take the fat that covers the entrails the fatty lobe attached to the liver and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar. We spoke also about, and, and really the, the first few chapters of the book of Leviticus is really where it goes into like a lot of detail about all the different times of offerings. So we're not going to go into every detail about these offerings because there's many kinds um, and, and, um, and it goes into much more detail in Leviticus. Um, but here, we see the idea of certain parts of the animal were burned, okay? The parts of the animal that were burned are like the offering that we're making to God. So we give the best parts of the animal to God, like the fatty parts, the, far the parts that are like the, the most rich in, in fat. We give those to God, and we are like burning them on the altar to him. But the flesh of the bull, with its skin and its offal, you shall burn with fire outside the camp, it is a sin offering. Okay, so there's a couple things here we can, um, we can consider. The first is this sacrifice, this sin offering, actually is a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so we put our sins on the Lord, like I said. So here also the person is putting their hands on this bull, which is going to be slaughtered for the remission of sins. Okay, and just as the Lord Jesus Christ was led to the crucifixion and death, so also this animal is being led to death. Also, some of the blood of the bull is put on the horns of the altar, okay, and poured besides its base. All the fat and everything are burned, like we said. Um, and so God wanted to confirm to the priests that by his blood on the altar, he atoned for their sins. Remember, this is an offering for the priest himself at this point. This is a part of the ceremony of consecration for the priest. So the priest is, his own sins are being forgiven through this sacrifice, this sin offering that he is made, being, that is uh, being made. So God is wanting to confirm to the priest that his own sins, even his hidden and secret sins, 
are being forgiven and so that he is encouraged and called for living a life of purity. Burning the flesh, so he's here in verse 14 when it says, but the flesh of the bull with its skin and its offal you shall burn outside. Burning the flesh of the bull, okay, this is also referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's referring to his passion and his crucifixion because the crucifixion of the Lord was done outside of Jerusalem. They took him outside of Jerusalem and he was crucified out there. So the idea here that the skin um, uh, and the offal is being taken out and to be, um, to be burnt outside of the camp is a symbol of what? Of the, the Lord Jesus Christ being crucified out outside of the camp. So again, it is a, a symbolism that we can see between the Lord Jesus Christ and the sacrifice. You shall also take one ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram, and you shall take its blood and sprinkle it all around the altar. You shall cut the ram in pieces, wash its entrails and its legs, and put them with its pieces and with its head. And you shall burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. It is a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. The, the sin offering was the first one we saw. This one is called the burnt offering. And always in the burnt offering, there is a mention that its smell, it's a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. Like the Lord smells the aroma of this sacrifice, and he is pleased with it. Okay? So this represents another aspect of the, of the sacrifice on the cross, of the crucifixion. The first one was a sacrifice for sin. It was the sin offering. This one is to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ, like the, the, to identify one with the Lord Jesus Christ. So Aaron and his sons would put their hands on the head of the ram as though they are becoming one with the sacrifice. Right. The sin offering before was we are putting our sins on a, on the animal, on the bull, who would then be sacrificed for our sin. This one, it is like identifying with the animal. We are identifying with it as though we are one with it in a spirit of obedience, just like the Lord Jesus Christ accepted to be the sacrifice um, in obedience to the will of the Father. So also here, um, the, the priest is accepting to be sanctified is accepting to be uh, submitting to the will of God, is submitting to be kind of the one who is carrying like the burdens of the people. So it's like the, the, the priest is identifying as being one with the Lord and doing the work of God. Okay, Just as the, the, the animal is sacrificed, so also like the priest is offering himself as a sacrifice. He's saying, I am the one who is sacrificing myself for the sake of the salvation of the people. You shall also take the other ram, so there was a second ram, and Aaron and his sons shall put their hands on the head of the ram. Then you shall kill the ram and take some of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tip of the right ear of his sons, on the thumb of the right hand and on the big toe of the right foot and sprinkle the blood all around the altar. And you shall take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments, on his sons and on the garments of his sons with him. And he and his garments shall be hallowed and his sons and his sons' garments with him. Also, you shall take the fat of the ram, the fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the fatty lobe attached to the liver, the two kidneys and the fat on them, the right thigh, for it is a ram of consecration, one loaf of bread, one cake made with oil, one wafer from the basket of the unleavened bread that is before the Lord, and you shall put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons, and you shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. You shall receive them back from their hands and burn them on the altar as a burnt offering, as a sweet aroma before the Lord. It is the offering made by fire to the Lord. Okay. Then you shall take the breast of the ram of Aaron's consecration and wave it as a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be your portion. And from the ram of the consecration, you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering, which is waved, and the thigh of the heave offering, which is raised, of which, of which is for Aaron and of that which is for his sons. Okay, so, so what does all of this mean? 
Okay, so this act is like a living portrait of sanctification. So after putting their hands on the ram, okay, with which Aaron and his sons, they proclaim their union with it, like what we said, like they identify with it, they offer its life as redemption for them in its blood, and then that blood is sprinkled on them. Their bl that blood is sprinkled on their bodies, on their garments, to purify and sanctify them completely so that they are, um, so that their lives and, they, and their work should be for the Lord. So they are completely consecrating themselves and the garments themselves are, are being consecrated in the blood to identify that this is, these are the garments of, the, of their service and that they are 100% consecrated to God. Moses would then take some of the blood of this ram and put it on the tip of their right ear uh, of Aaron and his sons and on the thumb of the right hand and on the right and the big toe of the right foot as though like their ears their hands their feet all the parts of their body are completely sanctified and dedicated to the ministry the, the ministry of the Lord so it is like a complete and full consecration that they are being consecrated with every aspect of them their clothes have been consecrated their bodies have been consecrated their minds are consecrated their sins have been forgiven through the sin offering in every way like they are offering themselves completely and wholly to God in sanctification. Every word that's heard by the priest and every movement or work shall be to the account of his master, right? So, so it's like now that the, the priest, all his senses have been sanctified, everything that he does is for the sake of his service and his submission to God. So, and, and, and this also is why it says that in this burnt offering, it says that it is a sweet aroma for the Lord an offering made by fire to the Lord. Like having been completely sanctified, the, the like this is a sweet smelling aroma. Like the Lord is pleased having now, now all of this process of sanctification has been done. Um, also, the idea of the wave offering, okay, where here where it says... Um, What verse was it? All the uh, put all these in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons, and you shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. This wave offering is actually like the first sacrifice that they, as priests, are offering according to their priest. So now, now having been consecrated as priests, it's like they are waving, they are offering this offering to God them having now become priests. It's kind of like how in the first liturgy when a priest is, is ordained to be a priest, he participates in the service of the liturgy for the first time, right? So here he is um, making an offering to God himself. The priest is making an offering to God himself as like his first act of priesthood after having been consecrated. Also, there is going to be this um, anointing of the holy garments. So it says, and the holy garments of Aaron shall be his sons after him to be anointed in them and to be consecrated in them. That son who becomes priest in his place shall put them on for seven days when he enters the tabernacle of meeting to minister in the holy place. Okay, so the priests the, were to wear the garments of priesthood and to remain inside the tabernacle for seven days. Okay, and actually we read about this also in Le Leviticus chapter 8. It says, Therefore you shall stay at the door of the tabernacle of meeting day and night for seven days and keep the charge of the Lord so that you may not die, for so I have been commanded. Okay, the, the, it is again a sign that the ministry of the priest is, is associated with and married to the tabernacle. You know, even now, whenever you have uh, a, uh, a priest who is to be ordained, it's a very common practice for him to sleep in the church the night before the ordination. Okay, this is something that happens often. Um, why? Because for the same reason. It's like saying the, the ministry of the priest is connected to the church. Right? It's, it's a part of the service of the church. So here also, this service of the priest is connected to the tabernacle. The priest is not like an independent figure. Like the, the priest is not an independent figure that goes out into the world and just doing what he wants to do and preaching what he wants to preach and kind of he is married to the church. He is married to the tabernacle here, right? His service is very much based on the tab the service of the tabernacle. 
Father Tadros Malati, he says this. He says, this is a serious warning to the priest who has presented his life as a sacrifice of love to the ministry of God. After putting on the holy priestly garments and after having all his inner life and outer actions sanctified, it is fit for him to remain all the days of his life. So in he's, he's taking the number seven being uh, like a number of perfection. He's saying to mean like all of his life to remain all the days of his life, adding to the statutes of the Lord, not preoccupied by any worldly affairs, right? So again, it is, it is a further emphasis here in the book of Exodus that this priest, having now been consecrated, is now married to this service. And this is why, for instance, like in the church, you have like the priest, is he changes his clothes, he changes his name. Why? Because it's like you're saying, you are, or you are accepting to be, um, uh, having this new life, which is a life of complete submission to God in the church, submission to the church authority, where your life is all about the salvation of other people. So this is a, a, a big kind of sign and symbol of that. Yes. Why are the priests not celibate? So we believe that, well, two reasons. One is um, when a priest has experience with the like family life, he will be able to better serve the people because he will have more insight into relationships and family and children and parenting and like all these kinds of things. That's one. The second is, is um, not everyone can accept a life of celibacy. This is a difficult life to have, and it can be a life of temptation. So by allowing the priests to be married if they choose, and it's actually encouraged that they are, it can avoid um, different times of temptation. And especially in the service of the priesthood, you're dealing with different people in different situations, which could become a problem. So, so by having the priest to be married, it makes the service uh, easier, and it makes the service less of a burden on the priest and less tempting for him. Um, uh, and actually, even in the time of the, the the early church, like in the book of Acts and in the scripture, you can see that even the apostles were married, right? So from the very beginning, it was the case that the apostles were married. Some of our popes were married in the early in the early days. It was only after the institution of monasticism that it became the rule in the church to ordain the bishops and the popes from among the monks. Well, prior to that, there was no rank of monk. So it was it was saying, essentially, these people who have already chosen to be monks, so they have already chosen to accept the life of celibacy. They've already chosen to, li to accept the life of full like consecration to God. And so these make sense that among these people are the ones who uh, will be chosen, like the bishops and the pope, who are going to have the most, like, they need to be the most focused on, like, church and not distracted by anything else. But prior to that... Um, there the it was open it was open to to anyone didn't you didn't have to be um celibate yeah <coughs> so he goes on he says and you shall take the ram of the consecration and boil its flesh in the holy place then Aaron and his sons shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the baskets remember he different kinds of bread and eat the bread that is in the basket by the door of the tabernacle of meeting. They shall eat those things with which the atonement was made to consecrate and to sanctify them. But an outsider shall not eat them because they are holy. And if any of the flesh of the consecration offerings or of the bread remains until morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it is holy. Again, there is a... These things that have been consecrated for God should not be used for any other purpose, right? It should not be used for any other purpose. It is consecrated. It is holy. It has been given, imparted that holiness by God himself. And to use it for any other purpose is to kind of defile it. It's to say that these things um, which have been consecrated to God, we will use them for any other purpose. Um, an example of this actually is um, the king in the, in the book of Daniel, um, the king, uh, I believe it was King uh, Darius, who um, was the, the, the king in the land of exile, who took the vessels from the temple, 
right? He took the vessels from the temple and he used them for a dinner party. He used them to to eat and drink with like a normal meal, right? And that same very night that he did so, he was killed and his whole kingdom was overrun. So um, so the idea here that we, we take the things of God very seriously, right? We take them very seriously. They have been given by God, this holiness. Thus you shall do to Aaron and his sons, according to all that I have commanded you. Seven days you shall consecrate them, and you shall offer a bull every day as a sin offering. So this uh, sin offering that we spoke about, this is something that's going to be offered every day. Okay, You shall cleanse the altar when you make atonement for it, and you shall anoint it to sanctify it. Okay, So God commands what? God commands that his sons eat the, the, the food that we just mentioned before, there's different kinds of bread, the things that were in the basket, um, by the door of the tabernacle. And this is a reference to entering into a covenant with him. Right, so this is like making a covenant between God and the priests of how they uh, minister before Him and the promises that He is making to them. God would take care of their needs as ministers, and they would in turn dedicate their whole life to Him. God is telling them that I am a reward. Like if you remember, um, when when God is distributing the land in the promised land to all of the tribes of Israel, okay, and I- I among these tribes. Uh, he gave land to everyone except to which tribe? The Levites, right? But to the Levites, he said to them what? Yeah, he said, I am your inheritance, right? Every other tribe had an inheritance of land except the Levites. The Levites did not have an inheritance of land. And, and he said, I am your, inher- your inheritance because you are the one who can minister before me. Your, your tribe, the Levites, and specifically the sons of Aaron, as the priests, the other Levites, they ministered in the tabernacle, but not as priests. Only specifically the, the descendants of Aaron were the priests. And, and they had a very special and unique role, which is to be consecrated for the service of God and to be enter into this covenant where God would say, I am the one who is taking care of your needs. So you don't have to have land like the others. You don't have to uh, shepherd the sheep like the others. You don't have to do agriculture like the other. You don't have to do, I will take care of your needs, but in turn, you minister to me, right? You are you are in the service of ministering to me. So where would the Levites live then? Hmm? In the heart of the cross? Oh, I don't mean uh, I don't I don't mean uh, now. I mean later on in the uh, in the promised land. Where would they live? Within the land, like within each tribe. Yeah, so they would be spread out, right? Like they would be spread out. Then there would be cities ar- around for them. So so again, because they have to have a close proximity to the people, because because the people come to them. The people come to them and they want to offer sacrifice. So they have to be in close proximity to them. If the Levites all lived in like one area, you know, and that's the only place where they lived, then they wouldn't have, there wouldn't be easy access um, to them. So instead of receiving the traditional inheritance of land that everyone, every other tribe received, here God is making a covenant with them and saying, I am your inheritance, okay? And he wants to proclaim to them that even their food and drink and everything should be in the presence of God. Like they are eating in the presence of God. They are receiving their food even from among from the tabernacle. Like we talked about the table of showbread, for instance. And the priest would, would, would bake this bread and he would eat of this bread himself. Okay, Even among the sacrifices, the sacrifices that would be offered, there would be a certain part of the sacrifice that would be designated for the priest to eat. So even there, even in his just daily service, he is receiving kind of his sustenance from this service. So the idea of the priest is that he shouldn't have to be worried about uh, making a living for himself. He shouldn't have to worry about thinking of his own needs so that he is completely 100% consecrated to the service of the people, which is why also, and I know in some cases it's not possible for practical reasons, but the ideal is, and what we practice, for instance, in the, in the Coptic church here, is that the priests have no other job. They, they're, they're 100% serving as priests, and that the church is able to provide for them um, their, their, their needs, right? So they don't have to be distracted with anything else. 
and again there are there are exceptions to this uh, for practical reasons but this is the this is the goal this is where we're trying to to reach and to achieve that the service of the priesthood is a complete consecration um, to God um, so Aaron and his sons they would eat the flesh of the ram and they would eat the bread that is in the basket and there's um, there's there the bread that's in the basket is made from there's three different kinds okay so there's this unleavened bread that's made from wheat flour okay and as we said the idea that it's unleavened means what what is unleavened without leaven so without sin without sin so leaven represents sin so for seven days he would eat unleavened bread representing that he is living a life of purity refraining from doing evil okay he will forget his old self he will forget his old life his old works he's being called to a new life and to a new way okay it is a sign of his renewal like he is being renewed in his thoughts he is being renewed in his repentance he is he is taking a new direction in his life so that's one kind of bread that was there another kind is these unleavened cakes that were mixed with oil okay the idea that the, the idea of oil represents the holy spirit like represents like the spirit of god so when you have the unleavened cakes are mixed with the oil as they are being made it represents like that the holy spirit is like being is like internalized inside of him like like internally the gifts of the holy spirit and the fruit of the spirit that has been given to him okay in, inside himself and the third kind of bread that he was to eat is unleavened wafers anointed with oil. So instead of it being kneaded together with the oil from the inside, it was made and then the oil was like placed on the top. Okay. So, so while the kneading of the oil on the inside represents like an internal change and an in the internal gifts of the spirit, the, the oil on the outside represents um, like the outward behavior, like his, his outward way that he, he acts and behaves. Um, not just internally, like in his thoughts, but by, you know, giving, like, like being able to serve people, being, being able to be kind to others, doing his outward work, okay? St. John Chrysostom, he says this, he says that even if the heathens respect a blameless man, we should live accordingly so that no enemy or an unbeliever would speak evil about us. Whoever has a good life would shut the mouths of even the enemies, meaning that we would have the, the good life internally, but we would also have a good life um, on the outside. Okay. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar. So, so we, we finished talking now about the consecration of the priests. Now we're talking about the altar. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and sanctify it, and the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar must be holy. Okay? So God accepts from his people that this altar, like, that, that, that is sanctified. He sanctifies it and makes it to be very holy. Okay? Because it is the place where the people are going to offer their sacrifices for the atonement of their sins. So the altar itself has to be holy. Just like also we consecrate our altar that is going to be, we're going to offer the sacrifice of the bread and wine. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Okay? So he's saying there's these daily offerings. There's daily offerings that you have to offer all the time. Okay? Two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. One lamb in the morning, one lamb at twilight. With the one lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah of flour mixed with one-fourth of a hin of o pressed oil and one-fourth of a hin of wine as a drink offering. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you shall offer with it the grain offering and the drink offering as in the morning for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord where I, where I will uh, meet you to speak with you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. So I will consecrate the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. 
I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them up out of the land of Egypt that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Okay. So this idea of offering the sacrifices on a daily basis, it is saying like God is constantly being glorified in their life all the time. God is constantly being, like we are constantly remembering God. We are constantly offering to God. It is not just that there is one season of life where we are remembering God when we're praying to God, when we're going to church or when we're fasting or when we're doing something, but it is a continual, um, unending pursuit that we are making sacrifice and offerings. And this is why the Lord said, he who endures to the end will be saved, right? The one who is able to continue, the one who is able to continue the offering, day and night for the their entire life this is the one whom the lord praises and the and and here is represented by making these offerings day after day after day okay any questions about chapter 29 before we move to chapter 30 okay i know this is difficult stuff but we're almost done with it um There is one remaining thing inside of the tabernacle tent that had not been discussed yet, and that is the altar of incense. And so this is here is now discussing the altar of incense. It says, and you shall make an altar to burn incense on. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length and a cubit its width. It shall be a square. It, it shall be square. And two cubits shall be its height. Its horn shall be of one piece with it and you shall overlay its top, its sides all around, and its horns with pure gold, and you shall make for it a molding of gold all around. Two gold rings you shall make for it under the molding on, on both its sides. You shall place them on its two sides, and they will be holders for the poles with which to bear it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. You shall put it before the veils that is before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat, that is over the testimony where I will meet you. So, I don't know if you can see it here. Okay. Whoops. You can't do both. Okay. So, so you see that there is... Um, the, the, the tent of the tabernacle is broken up into two sections. What are they? And the Holy of Holies. The Holy and the Holy of Holies. So what you see there in that black square, which I can't point to, um, is, is the Holy of Holies. And in there is the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant is the mercy seat. Okay? Then the blue rectangle here, this represents the Holy. And in the Holy, there's three things. What are the three things? What is this on the left? The, the golden, the golden lampstand. Golden lampstand, and on the right, the table of showbread. Table of showbread, and now we're talking about the altar of incense, the altar of burnt burnt incense, which is immediately before the holy of holies. So there's a veil, like a curtain, that is separating the holy of holies from the holy. And now this um, this uh, altar of incense is immediately like center, right before the veil. Okay, this is what we're talking about now. Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning when he tends the lamps. He shall burn incense on it. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer strange incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. And Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. Okay, So this, uh, uh, burnt, uh, th this altar of incense uh, is like uh, a symbol of like the the church okay because when we are coming to offer uh incense right when when the priest is going around the church with the censer and offering incense this incense is representing the prayers of the people 
right? That the prayers of the people are um, rising up to God. And Father Methodius, he says this, he says, Moreover, it has been handed down that the unbloody altar of God, which is our altar, which, has, which is without blood, signifies the assembly of the chaste. Thus virginity appears to be something great and glorious. Therefore it ought to be preserved undefiled and altogether pure, having no participation in the impurities of the flesh. But it should be set up before the presence of the testimony, gilded with wisdom, for the holy of holies, sending forth a sweet savor of love to the Lord. So he's saying the assembly of the chaste, so the assembly of the righteous people, right? The assembly of the believers in the church, right? That we are offering ourselves as an evening sacrifice, as an as a, as a, as a incense to God, that our prayers are rising up to God. This is why the priest, when he goes around sensing, he is like symbolically collecting the prayers of the people. And this is why also there will be people who give the priest like pieces of paper that has prayers on them during this time um, and offering prayers. And then when he goes back to the altar, he senses on top of the altar and he asks God to forgive the people and to forgive himself just as the Lord also forgave the right-hand thief. So it is like taking all of these prayers, collecting them, and offering them on the altar with the censer, with all of the incense rising up to heaven. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, okay, so now, now that was the discussion of the altar of incense. Now there's something else called the ransom money, okay? It says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, when you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord when you number them, that there may be no plague among them when you number them. This is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give, half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is 20 giras. The half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. Everyone included among those who are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering to the Lord. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel. When you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves, and you shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting, that it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. Okay, so this is the way that the people were to give in order to support the expenses of the tabernacle. This is why it says, you shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting. Okay? Um, this symbolically means what? That, like, besides bearing, like, they're, they're be being, like, collectively, like, on behalf of all of Israel, like, prayers that are offered and sacrifices that are made, right? But each individual believer also is called to have a relationship with God. You know, like, in the church... We are offering sacrifice, and then everyone can take of communion. But, but this doesn't mean that this by itself is, is the totality of the spiritual life. My, my spiritual life also consists of my personal relationship with God, my personal prayers to God, um, and so on. So the ministry of the tabernacle is like that of for the whole congregation, but at the same time, without losing the identity of each individual believer as a living member who has direct relationship with God um, at the same time. Okay, this contribution that is being made is a symbolic one. Okay, and it's a small one that anyone can afford. So this is something that even the poor people could afford. Um, and 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 it's saying what no one has more special status in the eyes of God than anyone else. Like whether you are rich, you still gave the same amount. Whether you are poor, you still gave the same amount. In the eyes of God, the souls of all of the people are equal. God does not see a person who is wealthy as being more valuable than a, a person who is poor. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, you shall also make a laver. So a laver is like a huge sink of bronze with its base also of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the, at the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and you shall put water in it. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet in the water from it. So we're back outside again. So here, this altar he's speaking about is not the altar we just talked about, the one for burning incense. This is the large uh, 
a square altar that is outdoors where the animals would be sacrificed and the blood would be spilled. Okay, so this is this is outdoors again. There is a laver that is used for washing. When they go into the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister to burn an offering made by fire to the Lord, they shall wash with water lest they die. So they shall wash their hands and their feet lest they die and it shall be a statute forever to them, to him and his descendants throughout their generation. So this is a round bronze basin that was put in the outer court and it was put in between the tabernacle and the altar. So it's in between the two. And this, the purpose of this was for Aaron and his sons to be able to wash their hands and, and their feet in this water, right? And its, its location can kind of be symbolic to the baptismal font, okay? So no one enters into the church to partake of communion unless they are first baptized. So as, as you are coming from the outside, entering into the tent of the tabernacle, you first pass by this laver, uh, this laver and for, for washing, just like in the church, actually, um, that's why the if you think about like the, the way a church is constructed when you walk in from the outside you enter the narthex which is like the the lobby area right um, and and then in there is where you have the baptismal font prior to entering into the actual church so it's saying that in order to enter into the church and to enter and come forward to take communion you first should be baptized Moreover, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also take for yourself quality spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much sweet-smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels, and 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane, 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hin of olive oil. And you shall make from these a holy anointing oil, an ointment compounded according to the art of the perfumer, it shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of the testimony, the table and all its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the laver and its base. You shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them must be holy, and you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister to me as priests. And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on man's flesh, nor shall you make any other like it according to its composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. So he's asking them to make uh, a certain mixture of oil, and then this oil would be used to anoint everything. Uh, and, 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 and anything that is anointed by it would be holy. What does this sound similar to? The Myron oil. Like we also have oil, Myron oil, which is made with a very, very specific way. Um, and actually, every time that the oil is getting low, they make a new batch of oil while mixing in the original batch. And it is said that the original batch was made by using some of the spices that was used to anoint the body of Christ at his burial so that we can say that there are traces of the spices used on the body of the Lord Jesus Christ still in the Myron oil that we use today. And we use the Myron oil during baptisms. We use it um, during consecration of anything. The bishop will use it for consecrating all of the, the altar and the vessels and the icons and the church itself um, and so on. And also he says, do not make any, um, do not make any other oil like it. Right? Like if you're going to make another kind of oil, do not make it according to the same composition. Again, like the, it, this has to be set apart as being special. This is why actually um, we do not promote the idea of people burning incense at their homes. Like the incense that's used in the church, right? Some people, they like, they find it to be like a soothing smell and it reminds them of the church. And so they will get some of the incense and they will burn it in their homes and smell the same smell like you're used to smelling in the church. We don't recommend this, right? For the reason why that this is, this incense is consecrated for the use in the church. So when we when we take that thing that is used for the church and we use it for some other purpose, even if it's not a bad purpose, I mean, I'm not saying that the people are trying to use it in a bad way, but we're using it in a way that it wasn't originally made for, it diminishes 
the holiness of it. It becomes more of a common thing that we are then just used to using it in whatever way that we want to use. Similarly, I would say also with things like hymns. Um, some people, they take a hymn of the church and they kind of remix it and they add some drums to it and some musical instruments to it and then it becomes a popular version of the hymn. Maybe people like it even more than the hymn that's chanted in the church because it's got like some excitement to it. Again, you're taking something that was made uh, to be used in a certain context and that context is in the church for the for the worship for worshiping God and you're taking it and you're making some changes to it and you're presenting it to be used outside of the church um, that maybe people are just are not using it that way at all right so as a general principle the idea is that don't take something that is intended to be used in the church and try to use it outside of the church for a different purpose okay for 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 a different reason that way that when we come to the church and we hear the hymn the original hymn the way that it was made it it, it sounds familiar to us not like the hymns that are similar but remixed that we are used to hearing outside of the church okay same thing with incense we we smell the incense only in the church we come to the church we we smell the incense so there are things that are associated with the church that should not be um should should not be tried to try to be used outside of the church because it might diminish its meaning um, and the holiness of it. Whoever compounds any like or whoever puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. Okay, so um, again, if somebody does try to make anything like this oil, or if somebody tries to use this oil on the wrong people, they will be cut off, right? Because it will become um, quickly an issue. Now that God has established the rules of priesthood, what he has done is he's established a rank of people. And this rank of people have certain privileges. This rank of people have certain things that they can do that no one else can do. And so it's going to start to become an issue. There's going to be several people, actually even um, Moses and Aaron's own sister, okay? are going to start looking at this and saying, well, why are these people granted to have certain access or certain things that they can do that other people can't do, right? Much like, you know, maybe our modern day issues where people will say, well, how come this person can't be a priest? Or how come this group of people can't be priests? Or well, we're all priests, you know, and we completely remove altogether kind of the, 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 the definition of what does it even mean to be priest, Okay. Here, God made it very clear that there were certain people that had this role. But like I said, just because they had this role doesn't make them better than the others. You know, there were plenty of priests that were mentioned in the Old Testament that were rejected, right, by God because they misused their office. So just because somebody is a priest doesn't mean that somehow God gives them special access to heaven or that they are like, you know, have, have, have you know, they, that God sees them as more valuable than anyone else. It's not the case. God gives everybody a role, and this is the role that he gave these people. And because they are the ones ministering the tabernacle, which is a very important job, you have to be consecrated for this service. It couldn't just be something that anyone would do, but God chose very specific people um, to do it. And the Lord said to Moses, take sweet spices, statki and onicha and galbanum and pure frankincense with these sweet spices. There shall be equal amounts of each. You shall make of these an incense, a compound according to the art of the perfumer, salted, pure and holy. And you shall beat some of it very fine and put some of it before the testimony and the tabernacle of meeting where I will meet with you, it shall be most holy to you. But as for the incense, which you shall make, you shall not make any for yourselves according to its composition. It shall be to you holy for the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to smell it, he shall be cut off from his people. Again, this is what I was mentioning before, right? Like the incense was not meant just to give a sweet smell, but it had some theological understanding. It had some purpose that was specific to the use in the tabernacle. And God here, he says what? If anyone makes this incense, 
or uses this incense for any other person purpose, they will be cut off from from the people. Okay. Um, in Malachi one verse eleven, it says, "For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles." In every place, incense shall be offered to my name, and a pure offering, for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. So what does that mean to you when, it, when you read that verse? What is the significance of that verse? Given this information here, in verse 38. Let me read it again. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. It's a prophecy about the New Testament. A prophecy about the New Testament and about specifically. The worship of God being around the world. Yes, the worship of God everywhere mm -hmm. and, and with incense. Right? So, number one, when people ask, why is it that we use incense in the church? The prophecy said that everywhere God is going to be worshipped among the Gentiles with incense. Right? Meaning that incense was the way that God intended for us to continue to worship him. We also know that this can't be referring to the Jews because it says that my name shall be great among the Gentiles. Also, we know that because he said that incense should only be used in the tabernacle, Right in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, incense should only be used, and whoever makes any like it to smell it shall be cut off from his people. But then in Malachi, it's talking about how incense is being used all over the world, right, among the Gentiles to worship God. So how do you reconcile the two, right? Because the New Testament, right, the New Testament law is different, right? This 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 idea of the incense remaining in the tabernacle is no longer the case. Because the church is what replaced the tabernacle. The tabernacle, which is the house of God in the Old Testament, has been replaced by the fulfillment of the tabernacle is the church in the New Testament. So in the church, which is filled with Gentiles, which is all over the world, is using incense to worship God. So this says something. I mean, anyone who reads this can, can glean several things. Okay, number one. God's intention was that the Gentiles would use incense to worship him. So if someone is Jewish, okay, and they read that, how are they going to understand? Like, like if, you're, if you're a Jewish person and you believe, just as in the Old Testament, that the only place to worship God is in the temple and the only place that incense can be offered is in the temple, well, how do you explain Malachi 1 verse 11? Because it's saying that there are many places that incense is going to be offered to worship God and even among the Gentiles. So that could not be a Jewish form of worship, and it could not be in the temple, right? So this verse is a prophecy of the New Testament church. And among Christians, it says what? How does God expect us to worship him? Well, we see in prophecy that there is a prophecy regarding incense, okay? Also, we know not only in the New Testament, is there incense being used to worship the Lord? But in heaven itself, incense is being used to worship. In Revelations 5.8, it says, Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. As I mentioned, the incense represents the prayers of the believers in the church that's rising up to heaven. So if incense is being used and the Old Testament. And incense is being used in heaven. So why do we not expect that incense is being used in the New Testament? Like why would we just skip the New Testament and go straight from Old Testament into heaven? This is for like this is a question for 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 churches that believe that we don't we should not be using incense. Um, here it speaks about the the prophecy of incense, speaks about incense in heaven, speaks about incense in the Old Testament. So incense is uh, a, a way of worshiping God and, and, and offering our prayers to God. And this is why God has asked us to do it in Old Testament and New Testament um, and in heaven itself. Does anyone have any questions about 
any of these chapters. Okay. God willing, next time, uh, chapter 31, there's just a short part at the beginning, which is like the final conclusion of all this about the tabernacle and all of these rules. And then we will continue speaking about what happens after Moses uh, receives the, the, the tablets and starts and now is coming down the mountain with the tablets and kind of the narrative portion of Exodus um, will continue after that. Okay, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We thank you, O God, for your mercy upon us, despite, O Lord, the many sins that we commit in our hearts against you and the many sins that we commit against one another. We ask, O God, that you grant us the forgiveness of our sins, and just as you have established the laws in the Old Testament for the forgiveness of sins according to the burnt offering, we place our faith and our trust in, O Lord, that you satisfied all of these through the sacrifice of your only begotten Son, our Lord and God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask, O oh God, that we make use of these gifts and this forgiveness that you have offered to each of us, and that we would stand before you, O oh Lord, offering repentance and come and to confess our sins so that we might be saved and to live, O oh Lord, according to your commandments. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints here, as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God, the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord, God, and Savior, Jesus Christ, the communion and the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen. And also with your spirit.